Welcome, Rams fans, to the latest episode of the 11 Personnel Podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Rich Hammond, Rams beat writer for The Athletic. Be joined in a second here by Jake Reiner of CBS2 and a very, very special guest. Been waiting to have this guy on for a long time. Former Rams quarterback Jim Everett is going to join us for a very special episode to talk about a lot of things that have been going on. With the Rams around the NFL, we'll get into some Super Bowl stuff. going to be a lot of fun. But Jake, before we get to that, just a couple quick housekeeping measures. Uh, we still are keeping track of what's going on with the Rams. And we are still waiting for the official announcement of the coordinators, which we've now known for a couple weeks is, is coming. I did get a little bit of insight into that. And uh, I, I believe... We will hear an announcement fairly shortly, probably followed by some media availability after the Super Bowl. I think perhaps the Rams are waiting to uh, finalize a couple other hires and, and maybe do this all at once. So we've been anxiously waiting to, uh, to see uh, or to hear from, from these guys and, and uh, what they're going to bring to the team. So still waiting, but I think it'll happen. Uh, fairly soon, and and Jake, I you know it's obviously a Rams podcast, and we we have a lot to talk about, but we'd be a little remiss not to at least mention the the news from uh, Sunday. You know, Kobe Bryant's uh, death in in the uh, helicopter accident, one of nine victims in that accident. And uh, Jake, it was nice to see you on on Sunday, but uh, probably not under those circumstances. We both ended up in in Newberry Park there, where. Uh, Kobe and his daughter and, and everybody on that uh, helicopter were in, intending to come for uh, for a youth tournament. And um, Jake, I know you were there. Sad, very sad scene, and uh, one of those things that uh, you know by nature we have to cover by the nature of our job, but uh, not something that's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was one of those things where I wasn't planning on working that day. It wasn't on the schedule. A lot of people ask me if, as a reporter, we're always on call or do they just call you in whenever they need you kind of a thing. And typically we do have schedules, but yesterday was a special circumstance. They called me, asked if I could work. Uh, I was available and was able to come in and I went straight to that facility. And uh, like like you said, Rich, we, we ran into each other. And I think there was a moment between the two of us, kind of unspoken. We kind of walked up to each other, very somber, shook hands. And it was just sort of understood that this was a very dark day in Los Angeles and across the world. And being out there yesterday, I know that there was a ton of people at Staples Center. There are, uh, again, today, a lot of people paying their respects. But it was a, a a nice showing there at the Mamba Academy. People came to drop off letters and candles and and share their stories. And it was moving to see how many Lakers fans came out to uh, pay their respects. Yeah, it was. And it's really something that, that cuts uh, across a lot of things. And I, I want to ask Jim about this in a, in a second, too. But uh, one of those figures... Uh, one of those names that even if you aren't a Laker fan, even if you're vehemently anti-Laker, it, it still makes such a, a big impact uh, to, to know that, that Kobe is no longer with us and, and to think about his, his legacy and, and everything else. You don't have to be a, a Laker fan or a basketball fan even to, uh, to appreciate that and, and to commemorate it. So you saw a lot of outreach, you know, all the L.A. teams, the Rams included, uh, you know, tweeting uh, words of support and, and, and things like that, uh, words of sadness. Um, some Rams players, I saw a tweet from, from Jared Goff with a quote. So uh, clearly something that's uh, being felt 
throughout the gosh, just throughout the world, even just just insane how how wide the reach is there. But uh, let's bring in our, our very special guest because I, you know, Jim, you've you've been somebody who's. Uh, been around the the LA sports scene for for a long time, and I know I've lived here uh, for a long time too. So I, you know, I was trying to think just people who who made this this kind of impact, who have had this kind of tragic death. Uh, I, can you think of anybody in the NFL? I mean, I was I was going back through some of the some of the names. I mean, there Derek Thomas. Not long ago, Jerome Brown. These are guys who were her names in the NFL who had careers and and then tragically, you know, had their lives ended early. Uh, Pat Tillman, you know, another one in, in some, under some different circumstances. But can you think of anybody, Jim, in the in the NFL who who really uh, had had this kind of impact and and had this kind of tragic end? I, you know, uh, Rich and Jake, thanks for having me on. This is uh, it's a pleasure to be on Eleven Personnel with you guys. It's a you know, I get to hear so much, but to answer your question, I would have to say in the NFL wise, I know a guy named Reggie White that probably, yeah. you know, he crossed over from not only being a great human being, but a great player, um, high caliber, um, you know, but, but affected people both religiously and, and just, you know, just being a good person. But the Kobe thing is, you know, I've been here for, I just thought about it the other day, I've been here for almost 35 years and. You know, I first of all, I never thought that someone could follow the the magic, Kareem Abdul, Abdul Jabbar, that whole act. But then here comes Kobe. You know, West bringing in this seventeen year old kid. Then he plays the next twenty years here at such a high level. I mean, we we grew up, and I think Kobe, especially here on the West Coast, we grew up with him. We watched him be, you know, kind of a you know young kid. You know, make some mistakes, have have kind of like this personality that's big and maybe not feeling it quite with his play but then that that came on because he 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 knew how to be a professional he knew that you know i can't let off court stuff affect my on court and then when he got on court he was just a beast he wasn't uh he wasn't friendly on the court but off the court we all we all i could say that us especially in los angeles he's he's a son of all of us and you know we got to watch him you know, grow through all those different levels. Like we see our kids. And then the fact that he goes down with his daughter, I think just hit everybody, or at least it did with me. I just thought that, you know, I've got kids myself and I couldn't imagine the tragedy or the fact that, you know, he leaves some kids behind with a wife and the whole deal. And I just think that because he was such an icon, he was our Michael Jordan on the West coast. And, and people always make that comparison, Michael Jordan or Kobe, I mean, I just saw this video today where they, they're both very similar, very champions, very passionate, very all the things that you want in your team. Um, and then off the field, all the stuff he did for the city of Los Angeles is, is, is just huge in the love for his family. But anyways, it's, um, it's a loss. And I think it made us all kind of reflect a little bit about our time here on earth and then say, you know, we it's not guaranteed there's no guarantees and we're not we weren't ready for kobe to leave us yeah that, that really is the the shocking nature of it i mean yeah reggie white's a good one there jim uh, 43 years old not not dissimilar 
from from Kobe in that in that way, and uh, you know, huge presence, personality, that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I think that hit a lot of people too. What you were saying, I mean, it was, it was Kobe Bryant, but I mean, gosh, there was also you know a couple young girls on there too, or you know, lives are were just starting and, and don't even get to. Uh, you know, write their own story the, the way that Kobe did. But yeah, the 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 journey that that people went on with him. You know, you, you talk about mm-hmm. him him growing up kind of in front of our eyes. It w- wasn't just a straight line with Kobe. There was there was a lot of bumps along the way, and and you know, people took issue with him. He was he was a villain at one point, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, for various reasons. And then uh, you know, comes back around and. Uh, people's uh, impressions change and the journey changes with him. So uh, just, just a unique story. So uh, it, well, I, yeah. Rich, I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, some, I don't mean to step over, but Rich, it's like all of our kids are, all of our kids grow up. The fact that he's in the NBA at age 17 or 18 or 19, or, you know, you take Jared Goff, Jared Goff, who comes in the NFL at 21. These are young kids. Yeah. And, Sometimes I look at us for societies, we don't give anyone a hall pass. I'm not saying I'm validating anything that happened. I'm just saying these are kids and we all are Christopher Columbus and we make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. But we're all we get different. Over it? Uh, I saw. Yeah. yeah. Definitely all different for it, uh, when we were at 18 to, you know, where you are when you're 30 or 40 or 50 or whatever it might be. So. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a remarkable story. Uh, you can, you can certainly say that. And, uh, you know, one that I don't, I don't think we're done telling there'll be a lot more to, to come, but, um, you know, we, we do have some, some Rams stuff to talk about and, and, uh, Jim, it's, uh, you, you know, when we started, doing this this podcast and started talking about getting guests you were uh, at the top of my list in terms of people I wanted to talk to because uh, you obviously have great insight not only into the Rams but into the NFL um, for people who maybe don't know that the sketch of of uh, Jim's career Rams quarterback 1986 through 1993 uh, spent a couple of years with the Saints and then finished off with the Chargers. Got a trivia question, by the way. Uh, one of only two quarterbacks, I believe. I really hope I'm not wrong here. Believe one of only two quarterbacks to have started a game for the Rams and the Chargers. Does anybody know who the other one is? Pause. Hmm. Pause. John Hadle. John Hadle, the only other uh, quarterback to start for the Rams and the Chargers, and then actually went on to coach the LA Express, you know, the USFL. So quite a uh, quite a journey there of a, in the uh, in the pro uh, pro football world in the NFL. But but Jim, I, I know you watched this Rams team very closely, and we all have our kind of perspectives on what kind of season this was. Nine and seven is a winning team. There's a lot of coaches, a lot of GMs, a lot of fan bases that would kill to have a nine and seven team, uh, but yet because of the expectations, it widely—I think I can safely say—widely felt like a disappointing season without a playoff berth. Um, as somebody who's gone through that, and as somebody who watches this team very closely, what's your what is your takeaway from that? I mean, how do you view a nine and seven season, and how do you put it in the context? of what we expected from these Rams. Well, I think that Rich, we just came off of the Super Bowl season the year before, so let's be real, we were all expecting to go back and have the dynasty. I mean, I think that's kind of the trend. I can tell you this nine and seven's a whole lot better than seven and nine. 
but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you always hear that with Jeff Fisher. But uh, you know, you you take a, a missed field goal, they're ten and six. You take a couple of things, they're eleven and five. They're you know they're not on the road. But that just wasn't this season. I, I remember back in the day, one year we went eleven and five, and the next year we went five and eleven. And I'm telling you, the differences are just a handful of plays, and that's how parity is in the NFL. I think the Rams are a very good football team. I think there was some miscalculations on some of the pieces of the puzzle uh, with Roger Saffold going to Tennessee. We had an opening. We had a new. We had a veteran center. Then we went with a rookie center. Those two pieces, I think, that lead to a bunch of the other answers of, that that come down the pipe. When you don't have your a gap with your center and your guard covered. Um, you have problems in the backfield. You don't have the holes for the Todd Gurley to run through. You don't have the time for Jared Goff to throw. And those things, as we saw, affected this football team drastically. I think when you're going good and you have that, you know, 11 and 5 record or 10 and 6 record, a lot of things have to bounce the right way. And it just didn't bounce the right way for the Rams. But Jim, you mentioned the, the offensive line. Do you feel like that was the biggest glaring weakness of this team. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you feel like that was the biggest glaring weakness of this team? Or do you feel like it was a combination of factors that led to this record? Well, I, I think that any time you're talking about, you know, <laughs> offense, defense, that's 22 guys plus special teams. Of course, it's not just one one thing in a vacuum. I just think that when we went into the season, I covered the preseason with CBS, is that there was question marks at the center and guard, and they didn't even play them in the preseason. And I thought that was a mistake because, in fact, we don't know what we really have. I know they're looking good in practice. I saw it, all that stuff. But you just don't know till it's game time, and you have to have those five guys acting as one. And it, it took us to about eight games through and some injuries to realize we need to make some changes. And so – once that happened, I think our, our the, on the at least speaking offensively, I think we saw that. When we look at defensively, I thought overall we were doing pretty good. We had Marcus Peters, but yet Marcus is a little bit more of a zone guy that I don't think was working in the Wade Phillips defense like he wanted to. Um, with Talib getting injured and then getting released, I think that was a big impact on this football team, not only in leadership. But inability because of what they're asking the corners to do under that Wade Phillips style defense. So that part, our special teams. I know there was a time that we faked a punt on our own 20 and didn't convert it. I thought that was a little bit of a desperate move. I think those things that, I mean, you start adding all these things up and not just a guard or a center. It's, it's a combination of a bunch of different, you know, things that just didn't work. And some seasons you have like that. I mean, you look at the Patriots season, some of the stuff they did didn't work. Did they not have a wide receiver? Did they not have the running back? You know, every one of these teams that aren't in this final game have some issues to address. Jim, I'm, I'm really curious. And, and we're, I want to ask you about Jared Goff later, but, but for the kind of for the purposes of this question, I want to take Jared Goff out of it and, and maybe just from the perspective of, quarterback X or who, you know, fill in your generic quarterback name. It strikes me that there's certain things that you can control as a quarterback and certain things that you can't control. The two of those primarily being 
how the run game is going to work, uh, whether it's play calling or execution or both. And the other being the play of the offensive lineman in in front of you. Um, So taking Jared out of it and taking 2019 out of it just for the moment, how do those things impact a quarterback, either physically, mentally, both? Just knowing that those are things that you really can't control to a large extent, but they have a huge impact on the way that you play. Um, again, Rich, it's, it is a good question. I, I think that all the pieces of the puzzle have to fit together. I mean, when you're, when you're in the chemistry lab and you're putting things together, you don't have enough of the X or Y or Z, you don't get the results that you need. And so, like I say, it's like uh, every team's a fingerprint every year and the chemistry was just not right this year. I don't know how else to put it. I don't, we can place blame here or there, but I can tell you this trying to figure out what Todd Gurley, Gurley is or isn't is really tough to do when there's no holes to run through. He was getting contact multiple times, either behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage, and had to break and run. Todd Gurley is a good runner. Is he you know, the runner he was three years ago? Maybe not. But if there's some holes there, um, I don't think there's questions on Todd Gurley this, Todd Gurley that. So um, there was a combination of things, I think, halfway through the season – I think we got away from some of our zone run concepts, did some power run concepts, which really helped. I think as the season went on, we went from 11 personnel to some 12 personnel. We changed up maybe, you know, some things that can, so defenses can't predict. I mean, defensive coordinators aren't stupid. They've seen the stuff that McVay does. Right. And of course, they're going to stop it. They're going to watch the New England tape from the from, and we saw that six-one defense all year long. So you change personnel groups up to get different mismatches, and I think that's an evolution of McVay's offense that we're we're really seeing. We you know we talk about watching Kobe grow up. We're watching McVay grow up. Right. And how does that, can, can that impact a, a quarterback? I mean, I, mean I, I imagine you you try to focus on, on what you can control and, and don't worry too much about what you can't. But when, when you maybe have that in the back of your mind, gosh, you know, the, the, run, the holes just aren't there for the run game today or, you know, maybe this is, just isn't the right guards day or, or whatever it might be. I mean, can that, again, whether it's physically or mentally, can that kind of get into your head a little bit? Do you start thinking about how how those things impact you or how they impact the offense? Or or, or do you think most guys are able to just kind of push that out? No, it affects all of it, Rich. And Again, let's be specific. If we don't have the run game and the linebackers don't respect it, when I go back to play action pass, which is a key part of the Los Angeles Rams offense, the linebackers aren't biting. If the linebackers aren't biting, they're falling in our crossing routes. They're falling in the routes. They're already looking up, um, especially if we're from the, from the same personnel group every 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 down. They're going to know, you know, hey, they run this route. They run that route. They run this. So they're looking it up. They're not even. They glance at Gurley, go, yeah. If he gets the ball, great. We'll stop him anyway because our front line's getting him. If not, I'm going to back here and you know cover Higby. I'm going to get back here and cover Cooper Cup. So yes, that does affect. So one thing, it's like a domino. And I know when we were quarterback and when we were with Ernie Zampezi, when we got one dimensional and we were just a pass offense, 
man, it was it was way more difficult than when you have Eric Dickerson running or you have a commitment to the run game with Greg Bell. Um, but when you get one dimensional, you know, it's really, really tough. And that's what makes the 49ers really, really difficult is because they got such a great run game, but they go they can they get Garoppolo who's who throws darts. And so um, he's not Mahomes. I don't want to get in this whole Super Bowl thing. But anyways, those are the types of things. You need all aspects falling in line um, so you can you can manipulate the defenses. And the Rams weren't able to manipulate the defenses like McVay wants. I think his schemes are fabulous. I think there's some change-ups. There's some things that, that are going to evolve into – and you saw some of that with Higby getting – you know, record yardage for a tight end at the end of the season. Yeah, that, that's one thing. I mean, what do you think? Like, it's it strikes me as kind of knee jerk uh, criticism. You know, you heard it shortly after the Super Bowl or at the start of the season. Oh, people have figured out Sean McVay, and I, I just I don't see it that way. Part for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned. To me, it's it's almost like whether you want to call it a chess game or some kind of, you know, duel where it's, it's a back and forth thing more, isn't it? To, to where, you know, yeah, maybe some aspects of your, of your stuff get figured out, but then it's, it's up to you to, to adapt. And then somebody adjusts to your adaption and then you have to adapt again. I, that, that's kind of how this goes. If, if you're a, a modern coach, right? It's not like you just throw up your hands and go, well, they figured us out, so I, I guess you know it's on to the next city or something like that. It's it's not really that it's not really that simple, right? It, it is, and it helps when you have a little bit of an older group working together to be able to do go on the fly changes. I don't care what business you're in. Sometimes you get into situations where you're like, you know what, we came in with Plan A, we were going to go to Plan B, but we're already to Plan D because of X, Y, Z. So yeah, I mean that's the whole all part of what has made Belichick so successful. And what people don't realize is his defenses morph every week. Sometimes they run the 4-3, one time they use a hybrid 3-4, then they go to a 6-1, whatever they think they can do to take advantage of what the offenses are. And that's why going against the Patriots has been so difficult is because they can morph. And I think that's what McVeigh is looking for in a defensive coordinator. Jim, you, you talked a lot about how the offensive line is sort of that, you know, that first thing that you got to solidify because everything else kind of falls into place like a domino effect if that isn't solid. So are you are you saying that that's what the Rams really need to focus on this offseason to make sure that that offensive line is good? Because it seems to me that if that offensive line isn't good, they're not creating holes for Todd Gurley, he'll have another down year. And for Jared Goff, if he doesn't have enough time to throw the ball, it's he's going to have another down year. I would say that on both sides of the ball. And that's what, you know, we talk about different coaches around the league that had made their impact. Bill Parcells was was key at this. And he, you know, he won some Super Bowls with a quarterback that some some guys say are it was okay with Phil Sims, but he had good offensive lines, he had impactful defensive lines. A guy like Lawrence Taylor, we have Aaron Donald, but all of them were legit. So what I would say is you gotta win in the trenches. I'm not just saying just offensive line, but defensive line. Let's take the 49ers right now. They are winning the battle in the defensive trench. They're winning the battle in the offensive trench. I don't care what your name is. If you're running back uh, uh, Brita or uh, Mozart from Purdue or whatever, you're gaining big yards. 
because of the concepts they're doing. They're putting their offensive line, they're putting their defensive line in successful position, but they're also beasts. And John Lynch has done a fabulous job of concentrating on the trenches. And I think if you want to win the NFC West, that's where the battle is. I, I'm not saying that that Russell Wilson or or you know any of the quarterback Jared Goff aren't going to make a difference. They are, but they're not going to make a difference if they're on their back. I, I heard that Purdue reference get slipped in there too. So nice, uh, nice, nice job on the, <laughs> oh, yeah. on the plug there. That's that's a good one. Uh, but you know, Jim, the other thing about this offense is uh, you, you, I think sometimes you need to take a step back. I mean, what the Rams did in. 2017 and 2018 you, you kind of have to remind people sometimes it's that's not supposed to happen necessarily I mean they're averaging like 30 points a game the the, the type of stats that they were putting up uh, it, it's it was remarkable to see but that's not really the standard now that, that you should expect from from an offense I mean and maybe it wasn't uh, this year either mid to, to the other extreme but uh, you, you, if you start expecting the Rams to score 30 points a game and just to, to be beating people by 17, 20, 24 points a game, uh, it seems to me like you're setting yourself up for, for kind of an unreasonable uh, expectation there. Well, and plus it's a copycat league. So don't think yeah. that every offensive coordinator throughout the league is going, hey, what are they doing to score these 35, 40 points? Let's do some of that. I guarantee every league, every team in the league is looking at Kansas City film right now. Because right. the stuff that he's doing over there is just, uh, you know, really top-notch stuff. The stuff that Shanahan uh, is doing in his running game with the 49ers, everyone in the league is looking at. So when they do that, they're saying, okay, this is what we're going to implement. How do we stop it? And so those things happen. Those things happen over the last two years. That's why you have to evolve. You have to morph. You have to, you know, you can't run Cooper Cup on the same route every time and expect the same results because they're gonna they're gonna cover it. Right. Yeah. Let's get into Jared Goff, okay? Because it's hardly an episode that goes by that we don't talk about him in in some way. And, and I think in in a lot of ways, Jim, I think you're you're kind of uniquely. Uh, qualified to to, to speak uh, about him, uh, you know, because of your background, you, you came in as a high first round pick, as Jared did. Uh, there was a lot of attention surrounding your arrival in the league. You get traded uh, early mm -hmm. on to to the Rams. Jared didn't, didn't get traded to the Rams, but he was a part of a, a very high profile trade that uh, that brought him uh, to the Rams. Um, he, like you, comes on early in his career in, in somewhat difficult circumstances under a lot of attention uh, as, as a young quarterback. In how much, in how many of these ways could you kind of relate to him as he kind of grew up over the last couple of years? Were there times where you kind of looked back and said, yeah, I remember what that feels like, or I remember <laughs> what that attention was like, or that criticism was like. Did it, did it, did it hit home for you in some ways? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the games changed, the, the paychecks have changed, but some of the other aspects haven't changed at all. <laughs> yeah. You know, you look at it and, and I look at it, people realize that Jared Goff, basically his senior college year, he was a rookie in the NFL. So, I mean, here's this young guy who's kind of wiry, accurate as all heck, competitive as all heck. And I remember there was one time he was at Cal and, and they didn't hardly hit one as a freshman. They don't think they won a game, but he had to, you know, go through that brunt and learn and get better. And as you, as I watched film on him, you could just see his competitiveness. Uh, you know, 
that's one thing I, I see about Jared. I don't know if people get. He's a cool cat. He doesn't have his emotions on the sleeve. But he is a competitor. He does not want to lose. I've, I've been around him. He's got a dry sense of humor. It's uh, Rich, you've been around him. He's, yeah. he's, really a, he's really a good guy, good team guy. Yeah. He's not going to sell anybody out. He's going to do his job, and he's going to do it the best he can. But when you're talking about a pure thrower, I don't see a lot. I mean, maybe um, Aaron Rodgers is that type. I think um, as we witness Jared grow up, I think his commitment to the weight room, his making sure that his body is as strong as he can be. Um, I think he's elusive enough. I don't think he's Russell Wilson. I don't think we can ask him to be Kyler Murray. We're, we want him to be, you know, a pocket with a move. I thought the stuff they did in the second half of the season where they started moving the pocket and Jared showed his accuracy on the move both left and right. I'm like, how wonderful is that? Because everyone was just picturing him as his stoic guy right in the pocket. And he's not that. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a, a misconception there. I mean, yeah, he's not gonna he's not gonna win a lot of 40 yard dashes, but it's not like he's <laughs> a, a statue back there either. I, I think he shows that when when he has the uh the ability to roll out and, and things like you said. So uh good to see them utilize that a little bit more. One but of, Rich, but, one of the things yeah. I wanted mm-hmm. to say about his evolution as a quarterback, where he is right now, this season. I saw Jared Goff throw more balls away to, you know, there was no one open. He just throws them away rather than taking a sack than probably any quarterback in the NFL. You saw his sack rate was not high, but the fact is he was smart enough saying, I ain't going to sell out my offensive lineman. I could hold this thing for another, you know, half a second, take the sack because no one's open. I'll just get rid of it and come back to the next down. Those are the things he's going over with McVay. I think the stuff that he's doing with Sean as far as, being able to now audible at the line. Sean's had a tight rope on him. I think that's been kind of limiting his ability to grow. I think every year we see Jared Goff, you'll see him get more control over this offense at the line. And McVay trusts him. Jim, do you think that Jared could develop into a quarterback to where if the Rams don't have a solid run game or maybe Todd Gurley is not himself or he doesn't get back to the to the form that he showed us a couple years ago where he could carry a team I mean we certainly saw that in the second half when they changed things up they moved to more 12 personnel you saw Johnny Munt on the field a little more than you uh, were typically used to and then they opened up Tyler Higby in the past game and you saw Jared roll out of the pocket like you were mentioning and he is very accurate on the run do you feel like he's the type of quarterback that could eventually evolve into someone that could carry the team, put the team on his back? I think if you're asking someone to do that for 16 games, I don't think there's a quarterback in the NFL that can do it. Not not in this day and age with what's going on. I think Jared Goff will win you ballgames. I think you can do some things with his accuracy. He's, he's certainly not going to beat you. Um, I, I think that and it, it, you look at the teams that had the winning records this year, Baltimore's, um, even New Orleans, even San Francisco, Kansas City, they all had run games. They all had very effective run games. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah, can you be a quarterback? Even if you even if you win a lot of games in regular season, if you're one-dimensional going into the playoffs, you're not going to last. So that that's going to be the goal is I know you're asking me the question, can he do it? I think he can for a period, but I don't think it's long-term successful. Right, and we definitely saw that with the the Titans in the in the playoffs. They were 
heavily reliant on Derrick Henry, and then when he was isolated, they couldn't really figure out uh, how to how to beat Kansas City. But the 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 thing that I was more talking about is like obviously not over the entire season, but you know, in a game where obviously their their the run game is just not working, uh-huh. you know, and and he threw a lot of passes last year. I mean, you compare the amount of passes. I looked it up. He threw a total of six hundred and twenty six passes. Uh, in 2019 the year before he threw 561 passes a difference of 60 65 passes he was throwing the ball a lot so you have to think that you know I I, we know he's not Kyler Murray we know he's not Lamar Jackson he's not going to be able to create those plays on the ground like those guys are but you know there are some quarterbacks out there that you know like an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady where even when things aren't going the way they want or they don't have the pieces that they need, mm-hmm. they still find a way to win. I agree. But, you know, when you talk about Aaron Rodgers, you got Aaron Jones running right behind him. So you have to respect that. And I think they did a good job of uh, Green Bay doing a good job of utilizing that run game. I think that's one of the big things that they brought up there uh, was a system that complemented the run game to the pass game. And, and they were very successful in it. Were they, were they mo- the most talented team? Not really, but their record was pretty damn good. So I think that's a great example of, yeah, you can have a great quarterback, but if you don't bring some multi-dimensions to your offense, you're going to be very limited. And that we were limited this year. And so the results are, you know, nine and seven. That's what you get. You can't throw 650 passes and expect to say, we're going to win all these battles. I don't know what Patrick Mahomes throws, but, you know, they have a lot of their run game tied into their, you know, screen game, dump off, stuff like that. And, and so, you know, that's kind of extended handoffs, if you want to say. That works. But you have to have running backs that they respect. You know, Jim, with talking about Jared and when I when I talk to fans or interact on social media or, or whatever, the one thing I try to say is, you know, there, there's fair criticism and there's but then there's also some people and I'm not just saying fans even journalists or whoever say you know it seems like every time Jared does something wrong whether it's an interception or doesn't you know doesn't hit a deep pass or whatever it might be it's like aha see told you like not, he's, not, he's never going to be and it's like I, I don't know if there's a there, there certainly is not a quarterback in, in the NFL in the history of the NFL who you couldn't find uh, faults with either during a game during a season, during a career. I mean, there's no there's no perfect quarterback in, in the NFL. So I, I guess my question here is, what is fair? In, in, when you look at, at Jared, let's just say specifically 2019, uh, he did a lot of things well. Uh, there were things I think Jared would be the first to say that, that he didn't do well. So when you when you kind of take him apart from whatever was going on with the offensive line, whatever was going on with the run game, uh, do you, did you see progress there? Uh, did you see any kind of backward step? Did you see anything that either made you particularly optimistic or pessimistic just specifically about Jared, whether it be his pocket presence or his footwork or his arm or whatever it might be. Um, How did you kind of dissect just what he did? Okay. I I think this is kind of a rerun, to be honest with you. And if you take history, in fact, when you're the number one pick in the draft, you have pretty lofty expectations. And a guy named John Elway, was the exact same way. He went to Denver, 
and he had different coordinators and he had different, I think it was Dan Reeves at the time. And he had this, you know, great arm and he had all this ability. They couldn't win. Not until Shanahan came in and brought a system in. And then they had all those questions about John Elway as well. Like, oh, he's got this. Oh, he's got that. Well, John's in the Hall of Fame. He ended up winning two Super Bowls late in his career because they got a complimentary run game to go with his pass arm, and he excelled. And so, I, you know, I see that. I think I think it's fair for the, you know, the high first-round picks, and I was a third pick, to take on criticism. I mean, because you're, you know, everyone wants to say, you know, hey, here's the new Ryan Leaf, you know. I don't know. I mean, I think that's part of the the glamour of getting picked early, but having the expectations and bringing you down too. I mean, it just comes with it. Now, when I look about Jared Goff, some of the questions is, one, I don't think he had time. Two, I don't think he looked comfortable all the time in the pocket. All right. Second part is people don't realize he had a brand new quarterback coach, new offensive coordinator. So he had new people working with him that were really young and not as experienced as some of the people he's had in the past, I think that showed. And I think that's why you're seeing McVay go out and get some quality people to bring into this offense, not only to, to you know, work with Jared Goff, but also develop an offensive scheme at different times because not everything goes plan A and B. So there was a combination of stuff. You want me to spe- specifically talk about Jared Goff. Jared Goff's his drops look good. His feet looked okay. His accuracy was not the same. He didn't look comfortable in the comfortable in the pocket. What I did see is making some really good decisions of getting rid of the ball when there's nothing there, which he doesn't get credit for. I think he made some some good decisions. I thought he hung in there tight. I thought he was gritty. I thought he fought to the end. Um, I thought there was a couple times that he forced balls. Similar to what Kirk Cousins does at certain periods of time when you're thinking, I got to make something happen. It's on my shoulders. And I would tell both Kirk and Jared Goff, relax. That's not how it works. You can't score 14 points in one throw. So just keep moving the chains. I don't think he had experience around him to help chill him out during these times. And I think he took on a little bit too much anxiety. And that's what I saw. I, I think, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so please correct me if I'm misspeaking at any point, but it, it sounds to me, and and not just from what you, you say, but from what other people who kind of critique his game, the things that, that you talk about that maybe aren't his strengths at this point or weren't his strengths in 2019, they're things that you can kind of grow into as, as you get older, as you get more experienced. Uh, it's it's not like you hear oh he just doesn't have the arm or his his feet are bad or he's you know his he, he doesn't see certain things it's it's more kind of that stuff whether it's presence or whether it's uh, decision making am, am I reading that right am I interpreting that right where it's it's things that you can hopefully potentially uh, kind of grow into as you as you get older and and just as you play more football is that is that an accurate way of putting it oh yeah his. His game is strong. Let me let me tell you about something good. I forget exactly who it, who it was, but he threw a touchdown to Cooper Cup. But it was a no look throw. So he he's looking he he's looking the middle, holds the middle, looks to the outside to get the underneath jumping outside, and throws a no look touchdown. And he goes right up to Cooper Cup right after he throws the touchdown. And Cooper goes, "I didn't think you were coming to me." I mean, I knew exactly what was going. On. And I actually ended up texting Jared at the time, going, "That's." freaking fabulous because that was the first time I've seen him do it that was just last year 
during the night, you know, 2019 season. So yes, those are some of the things that are going to be developed. I mean, it's not just Patrick Mahomes that does the no look throw. I'm not advocating that you do it all the time. I'm just saying that's something that's just new. So yeah, once you start getting comfortable, Jared is just getting into the wheelhouse of his maximum output right now. I just hope they have the guys around him that can maximize what he does. Can he carry a game? I think he can. You, Jake, you asked me that earlier. I just wouldn't want to see it happen all the time if they're going to be Super Bowl champs because you need to have all the different parts, and that's important. And I think Les Snead is going to really have to you know, put his hat on because we don't have any first-round picks. Jim, how much, how much of it do you feel is – Jared Goff, the offensive line, Todd Gurley. We haven't really talked a, a lot about Todd Gurley, and and yes, he thrives along with a lot of other elite backs with a solid offensive line creating holes for him at the line, and 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 all of that. And the, and and you were talking about how the defenses weren't biting on the play action because they knew that they were going to be able to stop Todd Gurley. How much of it do you feel Todd Gurley needs to elevate his game next season? Well, gosh darn. You know, I'm, I'm looking around the league and, and seeing the running backs situation, and, and I understand that, you know, they all feel like they're underpaid. I get that. But the more and more you see these offenses evolve, you're seeing two and three running backs be able to contribute during, during a game. I think Todd, you know, I think he understands the system. I thought this year he was a down year for him catching the ball. I think the 17 and 18 were years that, you know, you could throw anything at Todd Gurley and he would catch it and go. And this year, it just didn't seem the same. I think, you know, we take the the rookie, Henderson, who was in there. I don't think he understood the offense as well as McVay could trust him um, to be able to know all the different pass protections to be to get a steady diet. I think that changes next year. But again, I mean, you need to have multiple backs that you're comfortable with step in at game time, someone goes down or if, you know, you need to change a pace back or whatever. So I could easily see three rotating backs. But, of course, Todd Gurley does need to have a little bit of room to run, which none of the backs had this year. Not at the start of the season, for sure. Yeah, across the board, the numbers weren't great. I mean, you look at Malcolm Brown's numbers, and you mentioned Daryl Henderson a little bit, too. So, yeah, it, did, Jim, did you get a sense like this is it's also hard to, to kind of commentate on from above from the press box. But because that that run game sometimes wasn't there at the start, did did, did Sean show a little bit of tendency to, to go away from it too early? Or is there a point where you just have to? I mean, where you just, you know, you're, you're running into a brick wall five times and you just decide I'm not going to do it a sixth time or a tenth time or a 15th time. I mean, is, is there a little bit of balance there between you don't want to, you don't want to give up on something, but you, you also don't want to keep doing something that's, that's really not working. Did, is, is there a balance there? Okay. You know how we earlier talked about Jared golf being a, you know, Uber competitor. So yeah. is Sean McVay and he doesn't want to run stuff or do things that aren't successful. I don't care what aspect of life, if you're around him a little bit and you know, any, any facet of life, you know, he, he wants to succeed. So I'm sure he gets frustrated as well um, with the lack of a run game. Um, and he'll go to some other plays to try to, to – but like I said earlier, 
we're going to see Sean McVay evolve. There's going to be some times that, you know, he'll stick with that run game. His tendency has been to, hey, let's let's uh, blow this up and just pass it. Um, but I think over a period of time, you're going to see that. You know, the other thing is in 17 and 18 is the league really never had stats on Sean McVay. You take Belichick, you kind of know what he's going to do. You, you take Wade Phillips, you know what he likes on third and 18. I don't care what you're, you have a history. Well, people now are starting developing their history on your coach. And when that happens, you do have to evolve because you do have a tendency um, to go to your go-to. We all do. We're all humans. And, you know, there'll be a time where Sean will have to experiment with that. I know Andy Reid is one of the best as far as self-scouting himself. And so that's one of the things that makes him so successful because he's so unpredictable. Same thing goes with Belichick on defense. These great coaches have some part of unpredictability that is part of their DNA. Yeah, I, I think probably the Rams will benefit from that on the defensive side this year, right, or in 2020 because, I mean, they're bringing in a guy, Brandon Staley, who has – no footprint at all. He, I, you know, he's been with Vic Fangio for a while, but he, he, we don't know what a Brandon Staley defense looks like necessarily, unless you've been watching film from John Carroll University. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Whatever. I'm so, sure you will. Yeah. He'll have some Vic Fangio, which is a wonderful person too, and and great for this league. Matter of fact, was one was on our staff years ago, so I know Vic well. Um, and and thank God he's a head coach. I never I never thought he would finally get there, but uh, you know you made him. But yeah, I would probably look back and see what what Vic would do because I think he'll have tendencies of of what he will do. But I think Sean is going to really press him to be what I'm going to say a new wave coordinator. And I think that's what you're looking for. Why there was a change is let's not be static three four. You know maybe we alter you know where our defensive lineman which gap is it. He wants to be able to morph this defense into multiple different sets to cause total havoc on offenses. And so we'll see if that works out. I just wanted to get, uh, Jim, quickly your thoughts on uh, Kevin O'Connell, the new, the newly reported offensive coordinator, and kind of get your thoughts on what you think he'll bring to the table and what kind of role do you see him in and how he fits with McVay's plan? Well, I don't know. I think it's all to be determined. I haven't done all my research since they haven't officially announced it, you know, so I haven't really dove into it. I know that, that having experience by your side is always a good thing, especially when you have more sets of eyes than two on it. I just thought that, you know, over the last couple of years, everyone, every especially young guy wants to be on Sean McVay's staff, but how many of those young guys can you have and how much inexperience can you have when, you know, you're playing every week? So there is some value to having, you know, some guys who may have a little bit different outlook. And I think that will be, really, really good for, you know, creating some different dynamic things um, rather than in-house stuff. Like I said, I thought the second half of the season going back when Cromer started changing, you know, some of our zone runs to a little bit more pulling guards, a little more power stuff. I thought that changeup was excellent so that defenses can't always predict exactly who's blocking who and where the ball's going. So um, just little changes, subtle changes like that, can really make a big difference. All right. We are on the doorstep of the last NFL game of the season. They call it the Super Bowl. Uh, San Francisco 49ers, Kansas City Chiefs. 
Jim, what do you think? I mean, I, I look at it and I'm going, man, it's it's not. You look at the kind of the big picture storyline. You got a young coach, uh, Kyle Shanahan, uh, building up the San Francisco 49ers after they've struggled for a while, and then you've on the other side you've got the the veteran coach Andy Reid with some uh, some teams that some players who haven't won it yet, but they, they've had some success in in the last couple of years. So, are, are we in for a, a repeat uh, of last year? Is is the old grizzled coach going to uh, get the better of, of the young guy, or uh, what do you, what do you think of these 49ers and and how do you see this game breaking? Down? Well, I certainly hope I'm, I'm, you know, one of my I grew up in Kansas and one of my uh, one of my first favorite players of all time was Lenny Dawson, and he actually went to Purdue University. That's my second plug there, Rich. Um, <laughs> and and I actually got recruited by Lenny Dawson to go to Purdue. That's my third plug, Rich. Um, and so. You know, I want Kansas City. I want Andy Reid. They've said Andy Reid's done everything except for win a Super Bowl. Well, it's about time Andy Reid wins a Super Bowl. The only thing is, is he's going against John Lynch, who's I play against, who's done a fabulous job at San Francisco, pretty much unbelievable job at San Francisco. And the fact that they have a fullback running, and this kid's good, and stuff they're doing with their run game is a little bit more old school um, but the concepts are our new wave. I just love it. So, I mean, I really, really can't wait to watch this game. I think it's the most interesting game that could be played. I was kind of thinking the Ravens may be there, but it's Kansas City's due. I'd like to see Mahomes uh, take the trophy, though. That's that's my heart talking. Yeah, Andy Reid, L.A. kid, too. So uh, a little bit of a connection there. If, if L.A. fans are looking for somebody to uh, to cheer for, Andy uh, grew up out here. And uh, so certainly, like you said, uh, that's the only line missing um, on his resume. But we got to put you on the spot. You, you said what your heart is going with. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but what, what, is, what does the brain say? <laughs> My brain says, how does anyone throw against those four defensive linemen that San Francisco has? I mean, those guys, yeah, yeah. they are good. Can can Kansas City's defense come to play? And I think that's that's it. If Kansas City's defense comes to play and can remotely slow down that running game, then I think Kansas City's got it. But, um, you know, I think the big thing is if San Francisco can uh, crank up that running game, I just don't see how Kansas City can stand it. But then again, Kansas City can score, you know, 100 points in a quarter, for God's sake. So, you know, it's amazing. I, I was watching the other game a while back when they were down 20. And, and you know, it seemed like Kansas City played, you know, two games in, in two quarters. It's just unbelievable the, the turnaround that they can do with that with that kid at quarterback. And, and I am a fan. And um, it's just fun to watch. It's fun football. I'm going to go with Kansas City. I'll put it out on the line right now. I think they're going to show up. I think they're going to play. I think it'll be a fun game. Um, I sure hope it is because I really don't like the 49ers, to be honest with you, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> Old habits die hard, don't they? Oh, don't they I, love, I love the honesty. <laughs> All right, Jake, you're up. What do you got? Uh, every time I bet against the 49ers, they win. So I, th- I, I feel like I, I have to... I have to pick San Francisco here, even though it is killing me. I'm an LA kid at heart. I grew up, uh, you know, in Los Angeles, and we're just naturally told to hate everything associated with San Francisco. So it pains me to say that I think the 49ers are going to win, but I think that they are. They've got that running game just figured out, and no one's can seem to stop them, and their defense is just just suffocating. So I don't. Here's here's my prediction though, just like uh, Jim was talking about 
uh, Kansas City's defense showing up. If if San Francisco has to rely on Jimmy G and they have to put the game on his shoulders, I think they're in trouble. But I ultimately think that San Francisco is going to win. Yeah, this is, boy, I, you know, my takeaway is, is kind of what, what Jim's was. I, I really didn't have any rooting interest in those championship games, but the but the game I wanted to see was was Chiefs 49ers just from a kind of a style, just from a, a football fan perspective. So I, I'm glad that, that we got it. I know a lot of Rams fans were cheering hard for the 49ers to uh, to lose. Uh, but you know what? I just, Jim, real, real quick on the side here. Yeah. Do you, I, I think... Rams fans will probably disagree, but but the fact that these two teams are good now, the Rams and the 49ers, I, I love that because I want to see that rivalry come back, mm-hmm. and I, I want those games to be uh, meaningful like the, like they were for you in the in the 80s and, and early 90s. I mean, we get we got to get that back, right? I mean, to to have that Rams 49ers rivalry, how how great would that be again? Oh, that would be great. I think you know Seattle has kind of been been you know the the one taken taking the brunt you know they've been successful with Pete Carroll up there and his USC connections so it's been kind of ram Seattle but you know with the 49ers coming back that that rivalry to me is just unmatchable you know the Jerry Rices of the worlds the Steve Youngs the Joe Montanas and, and Ronnie Lott As a matter of fact I'm on Ronnie Lott's board for defensive player of the year for college so you know what a great guy um, what a, what an outstanding group of guys they are I'm not saying individually I really like them as a team I hate them so they're, they're, that's how we go but <laughs> uh, I, yeah okay I think the NFC West is super good. I really do, and I think that part's good. Um, Rich, going back to what you said about the teams, I actually wanted to see the State Farm Bowl played. I want to see Aaron Rodgers against Mahomes, but that was just me as an offensive guy. <laughs> but yeah, I think yeah. these two are the two best teams representing in the Super Bowl, and it should be one heck of a game. So, Rich, who do you got? Yeah, I mean, I, I my sentiments are kind of like Jake. I, all all year, I've been waiting for the 49ers to crumble, and like I, you know, they had their early success. You think, up, oh, they got to prove it, they got to sustain it, and then they get into some big late season games, and you think. Well, now this is the time. I mean, they're not going to know how to win these games. And then they get into the playoffs and you think, ah, they don't have the experience. And they yeah. just keep winning these games. And uh, credit, you know, to that whole staff. And like you said, Jim, John Lynch just bringing in these guys who uh, have fit right in. And, and you know, there's just the the team uh, ethos that they've built is, is amazing. That said, I'm gonna, I'll probably, I guess I'll just make the mistake again all the way to the end. Uh, but the, 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 there's that Chiefs team. Like you said, Jim, it's just I haven't seen anything like it uh, to, to where even if they, they look like they're just completely going over the cliff, uh, they, they have that ability to just kind of put the brakes on and say, hey, you know what? We've got to reset here. we got to do some stuff differently. And, and the, the ability that they have to do that uh, within a game or sometimes even within a half uh, is is remarkable to me, and and it probably starts with Andy Reid and and uh, on down to some very smart and and uh, skilled players that they have. So, given those guys two weeks, I, I think that makes a difference too. Uh, you know, you have some time to to really dive into the scouting and the game planning and and that sort of thing. So, I, I guess if I I guess maybe I'm betting on Andy Reid. So I, I'm going to go with Chiefs, and and I'm sure next week we'll come back and say, yeah, you dummy, uh, why did, why did you bet? against the 49ers again after they've proven you wrong uh, all year. So I, I think we all agree it's going to be a great game. Hey, right? what, are, what are the matchups I'm really looking at? You know, you talk about, you know, Lynch bringing all these guys in. You know, they got a rookie Bosa starting. you got Richard Sherman, who they brought in, you know, on the outside. But 
Richard Sherman, you know, he's a good corner. Don't get me wrong. But he doesn't have trachea heel speed and speed kills. I want to see that matchup. I want to see how they cover Tariki Hill because if they if they try to one-on-one -on -one him like Richard Sherman always likes to do, I think they're asking for trouble because he has way too much speed. Um, and I'll say it right now for Richard Sherman. <laughs> there you go. Maybe we can get into Twitter beef with him. That uh, <laughs> seems to be one of We can get Jim Everett versus Richard Sherman going. He's uh, legit. He's so of, good. He's so good, Rich. I don't want to get Yeah, that. he is. I'm just saying Tricky Hill is so darn fast. That's all I'm saying. I can't wait to watch that matchup. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. So many good matchups in that game. So really, really looking forward to it. And, and I do think it's going to be a, a good one. But uh, we'll, we'll come back and uh, recap that. We'll see uh, how, how, uh, how correct we were, how wrong we were. But uh, Jim, thanks so much. We, we mentioned Twitter, and uh, you should, absolutely, if you don't, I know most Rams fans do, but uh, Jim on Twitter, at uh, Jim underscore Everett. Uh, really fun follow, uh, just a great and engaging guy. Uh, really, really good with his memes and, uh, and, and gifs too. Uh, just uh, gotta hire you to do some of that stuff. It's it's really uh, it's really uh, amazing stuff. I but, don't have. Uh, hey, if, you, if you do, all the folks out there, if you do follow me, one take it with a grain of salt, and two have a little bit of thick skin because I do. So that's just you know we just have fun. It's it's a place to you know express things and and have a good time and have a little bit of sense of humor, which I think sometimes we we lack. Everyone's so serious these days. It's like you know, it's a little bit of levity, a little bit of fun, a little bit of serious, seriousness, and, you know, you'll have a great time with us. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Well said. So definitely do follow uh, along with Jim at Jim underscore Everett. Uh, of course, follow along with us as well. Jake is at Reiner underscore Jake, R-E-I-N-E-R -E underscore Jake. Jake, we'll get into some other stuff next week. Um, you're going to start singing for us. Pretty soon, uh, there's there's oh, a video no, of uh, of you being exposed, I think, uh, by your father as a as a singing star. So we're we're gonna get into that a little bit uh, uh, next week and uh, talk about some Ram stuff. Where you know, again, we're inching closer to to the combine, which is going to be a big thing and uh, going to start getting some roster decisions here pretty soon. So uh, there's, there's going to be some real world stuff to talk about for the, uh, for the 2020 season. But Jake, before we part uh, as always, uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about what CBS two and KCAL nine have in store for us. Uh, obviously. Well, yeah. The one thing I want to mention about our coverage on CBS is I, I, I really, I was listening uh, a lot uh, in my uh, earpiece, you know, waiting to go live yesterday for the whole Kobe coverage and just listening to the guests that we had on, the, the guests that Jim Hill was able to get, uh, Magic Johnson, Jerry West, John Ireland was just an incredible addition to our coverage yesterday. I thought we did a really nice job. And tonight... Uh, we are going to be live uh, down at the Staples Center. Uh, Jim Hill will be there. Um, so continue to, to follow uh, KCBS and KCAL uh, for our coverage of uh, the sudden passing of Kobe Bryant because I think I think we've done an excellent job. And then, of course, tune into Sports Central every night on KCAL 9. Hey, Jake, I got yeah, a quick I, I, question, Jake. 
Um, sure. Hey, uh, is there is there anybody in the city of Los Angeles that Jim Hill doesn't know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I I really don't. I think he has. I, I, as I was saying to my photographer yesterday, he opened up the uh, the proverbial Rolodex yesterday and, and just was able to get these amazing guests on and and really like compelling interviews. And I I thought it was unbelievable. But Jim Hill's the best. Yeah, I, Jim Hill's the best. You guys, he really he really represents. Los Angeles sports. I mean, if they have a, you know, the, 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 the monument, it's got to be a Jim Hill monument for, for Jim Hill's coverage. He's just awesome. Oh my goodness. Could, couldn't agree more. And uh, yeah, we were, we did a tour of the uh, Inglewood stadium uh, last week and, you know, there's construction workers everywhere and people working and, and, you know, just walking behind Jim and, you know, all these people just come up to him and shake his hand. And I'm like, do you know these people? Like, are they, these your neighbors or they just, <laughs> no, they're, they're just people who, you know, have watched him like we have for, uh, for, you know, decades now. And, uh, it's, it, there's really nothing like it. So it's, it's, it's fun to Dang, see. Rich, so, yeah, I, 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 I thought you yeah. were going to say centuries. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> I, uh, like, I that reveals how old I am too. So, uh, I don't know, definitely won't won't do that but yeah i was sitting there watching last night and there's there's jack nicholson's name on my tv screen and i'm going oh my goodness they got cbs got jack nicholson on to talk about yeah. kobe bryant that, that was really uh phenomenal so sad story but absolutely a, a phenomenal job by by cbs and kcal to cover it and i know you guys will continue uh, to do so so Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening. We'll be back next week to uh, talk about some of the latest Rams news. And, uh, Jim, any parting words for, for the Rams fans before we go? No, I, 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 I think, uh, number one, that, uh, uh, that it'll be, there'll be some changes this offseason that I think we look forward to. I think there'll be some changes around the NFL. I look forward to the, the quarterback carousel between the Phillip Rivers, the Tom Brady's, the Cam Newton's all possibly moving. So all that. Um, I think that, you know, with the Rams stuff, I think that you're going to see some real concentration on the heavies. Um, I think Corey Littleton at middle line or, or Dante Fowler, I think that'll be a story. It's going to be interesting off season for these Rams and you know, who they are going to be in 2020. Um, not only on the field, but actually in a new stadium, I think it'll be exciting times. Yeah, it's, it's really is going to be a fascinating uh, year, and the offseason goes so fast, as, as you know, more than better than anybody, I'm sure, uh, how, how fast things move. So hopefully we'll have you back on, uh, maybe after we get some of these roster decisions made, and, and we can actually talk about these these 2020 Rams and, and how they might uh, look on the field. So hopefully you'll be back to uh, to join us then. But but thanks so much for, uh, for taking the time and a uh, really enjoyable episode here. So thanks, everybody, uh, for, for listening. Uh, as always, you can follow along on Twitter. Thank you for the reviews and, and everything on, on iTunes and uh, listening on Spotify, everywhere you can get us. Uh, feel free to spread the word and, and uh, let your fellow fans know uh, what we're doing here. So thanks again, everybody. And we will be back t- with you next week. <laughs>